Welcome to part one of the Big Interview Q&A show for me. I'm Martin Gregg and with me today are the host of the Big Interview, Graham Hunter, and our very special guest for these shows, La Liga TV's Pete Jensen. The show, as always, is a mix of questions from our socios who support this podcast at patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter and from our sponsors at Bet365. We are going to focus on La Liga for the part one of this Q&A and it is one of the closest title races in recent memory. Six points separating Atleti at the top to Sevilla in fourth with Madrid and Barca level on points in second and third. The top four sides met at the weekend with Barca and Atleti playing out a 0-0 draw and Madrid and Sevilla drawing 2-2. Going to start with you, Graham. In your ESPN column this week, you say, and I quote, anyone who failed to notice that there were two absolutely rock and roll moments at Camp Nou and the Estadio Alfredo Di Stefano, which deserve to remain iconic for many years, must be an emotionalist, desensitised automaton who doesn't deserve to watch Spanish football. So let's address one of those moments with a social question, uh, social Ian Body. He says, what's your view on refereeing in general and VAR in particular so far this season in La Liga? So I think uh, Ian's question takes us nicely into rock and roll moment number one, Madrid-Sevilla. Graham, talk us through the VAR moment to end all VAR moments in the Madrid-Sevilla game at the weekend. Well, Ian's talking about a wider question, okay, referees and VARs, but you've... You've drawn it directly to the weekend. And the reason I got so excited about it was that, in particular, of the two showpiece matches, um, the Madrid-Sevilla game was just blisteringly interesting. It was good. It was full of quality, even though they're uh, exhausted, the two sides, particularly Madrid, and depleted. It was full of quality, full of interest, but it was dramatic. And my argument is that, although we all sign up to football for life because we adore skill and goals and thrills and we pledge our allegiance to a team and we want just defence, you know, defensively magnificent tackles. We want drama. I think possibly even above anything else, drama will sustain you uh, long after your admiration for technique has been overtaken by, a, OK, we're technically good, why can't we win? Drama is, is the lifeblood of the game. And what happens is that early in the match, Benzema's goal is ruled out... Um, it's ruled out so marginally that if there was no, if VAR didn't exist, the, the goal would have stood because uh, Audrey, it, they, they get it right, but Audrey's all toenail is offside and they show it, it gets ruled out. So the referee's got that in his head already, Martin, Ian as well. He, he's got it in his head that with Atleti and Barcelona having drawn the night before, and referees are human, they carry this into games. They know that on this night, if Madrid win, then. It's not the title, but it's as good as. Because they can win the remainder of their games, that's quite clear. They would go um, equal top on points, but ahead of Atleti on a head-to-head, ahead of everybody else on head-to-head. It's as close to a cup final as you can possibly get within a league. And having ruled one goal out, what happens is uh, Sevilla go 1-0 up, and Asensio's on the pitch 70 seconds, and he makes it 1-1, and then this happens. That the ball is coming in from a corner. Acuna's cross is, is quite good. It's where Courtois can't come for it. Militao and Nacho are the two centre-backs. For anybody who didn't see the game, um, Pete knows this inside out. It's not Ramos and it's not Varane. So already having lost a goal for the ball in the box, Martin, the, the defence are uptight. You can see that they're thinking, well, not again, not again. Militao goes up for a jump. They're Brazilian. Raw, you know, interesting but raw centre-half. And he does a sort of twirl as he goes up that's not natural. It's not like um, 
arms aren't pegged to his side because he's jumping. The, the assistants and the referee aren't crystal clear that it's a penalty. So under the, cu- the current rules, you let play go so that the VAR people in their bunker, which are just across the, the city, are looking at it while play goes on. And, and this is a long-established concept. Everybody knows it's the case. There's a bit of pinball in the penalty area and Sevilla are, are, are ragged. There's a caught-up pitch. Vinicius gets hold of it and, and does what does a little too irregularly for his own good. He, he plays a really you know perspicacious pass, sends Benzema away. Benzema runs two-thirds the length of the pitch, takes on... Takes on Bono um, in in the Civic. Should have passed, doesn't. Bono takes him down. He's trying for the ball, but he takes him down. Suddenly, all of Madridismo are shouting and screaming, we've got a penalty. They'll no doubt have been shouting. And the keeper's got to be sent off now. He wasn't, because double jeopardy means that in the penalty box, if you're the keeper or the defender, and you make an, an effort to try and get the ball, but you commit a foul, it's penalty in yellow. But nonetheless, it looks like it's a penalty to Real Madrid. It, it, you know, it would, it would put them 2-1 up with not very long to go um, in a game that that will make them more than champions-elect. And as soon as that penalty foul is committed at that end, that Martinez Monuera stops the play. And, and he stops because he's got a voice in his ear, Gonzalez, Gonzalez. And Gonzalez, Gonzalez, after a few seconds, and you can see Martin Ian, you can see... This Benidorm-born referee going, here we go. Whatever happens here, I'm in the absolute eye of the storm. Either I'm accused of bias towards Madrid or the whole of Madridismo comes and craps on my head and he's thinking and he's assessing and they say, go and look. Now, they can't say to him, we order you to give a penalty to Seville. They can't. So all criticisms of Gonzalez, Gonzalez, the VAR referee, need to go out the window. Referee's decision on the pitch is always final. He goes and takes a look, and it's absolutely clear that the bullshit that we've had to put up with in the Spanish media, broadcast and print since then, is 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 completely misinformed. Irrespective of whether your you, your paymaster at market or ass says we've got to favour Florentino here, otherwise he's going to come chasing our arse. We've got to be pro Madrid. The readers want pro Madrid. Irrespective of all of that, the FIFA laws say. If you make your body unnaturally big and the ball comes off the lower part of your arm underneath the T-shirt line, it's a penalty. But still we get quoted, he didn't mean it, he couldn't see, he couldn't see it. Some people talking about it, it wasn't unnatural. There's, there's an editorial today from the ex-editor of Diario As, about, and he just he says, Militao did nothing wrong. He did nothing against the spirit of, game, of the game. He didn't break any of the rules. It's just wrong. So the big thing, Martin, and this only partially answers Ian's question clearly, because the legitimate part of the debate is it's true that not every referee is giving the same interpretation of handball, because the laws at the moment, or the, 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 penalty, the handball penalty law is very, very short. You have to combine law 14 and law 12, and for my taste, it's really quite clear. So Martinez Munuera stands there with all the oral and visual information he needs, he takes a beat or two and he says it's a penalty. And he was right. And all you can ask in this situation is, how does the TV frame it? Because we can't be at the game. And it was just theatrical. It was absolutely beautiful. You get one end incident, straight to the other end incident. A referee, I, I, I personified him as, as one of the most popular forms of, of drama, written or broadcast, is the courtroom drama. And it always ends with the pros and the cons. And the, and the foreman of the jury, he or she stands up and goes, 
Yeah, we've yeah we've come, well, yeah we've reached a verdict. Guilty, not guilty. <laughs> maybe maybe Florentina would have liked the Scottish law version of uh, not proven. <laughs> Nothing happened at all. <laughs> but they don't have that in Spain. And he gives a penalty and Rakitic, the ex-Barcelona player who set up the first goal for Sevilla, tucks it away nicely. And in the end, Cruz equalises. But no, no, those aren't the points. The point is that this man, with all his training, and I think it's 27 years as a ref because he'd begun at age 11. He was built for this moment. We ask our footballers to be ready for their big moments. The referees are the same and he got it right and it was brilliantly dramatic. And my small summary before you hand to Pete is that, in my opinion, across decisions and then revisions through VAR in Spain, I think, percentage-wise, pound for pound, I think we get better quality of decisions than in England at the moment. I think we get more consistency and I'm more often left saying, that's right, we have had Billy Smart circus for moments with VAR. We have had times when the human factor which will always interfere, has cocked it up. But broadly, Ian, my opinion is that the way in which VAR functions, the way in which they talk to the referees in about 80-85% of the cases is, is good enough for my taste and, and, and on an upward curve. Well, one of the criticisms of VAR is that it's going to take all the drama out of football and slow, slow everything down. And as Graham has just um, brilliantly illustrated, it, it's not it's not doing that. Um, certainly not in moments as you saw on Saturday. Um, one of the big complaints about the handball rule, of course, is that it keeps changing. And next season, that's not a penalty. And Graham's completely right. It's a stonewall penalty, and all of Madrid's complaints since have been, have been a little bit pathetic because as the rule stands at the moment, it's absolutely 100% a penalty. But next season, they're going to change it again and they're going to make it that if your arms are in an unnatural position, but that is because of the way you're moving your body, that is the movement you're making because you're jumping or because you're running or because you're falling or stretching, then, then it's not handball. So that's one of the problems that the referees have and the referees are in the firing line and the rules keep changing and they're under, they're under so much pressure and they have been under pressure this season with comments that have been made more by Kuman than Zidane, it should be said. kuman has been, been crying for most of, most of the season. Zidane, that was the first time and you, you can see how the pressure's building in the title race that we had that fit sight of him walking out onto the pitch at the end of the game and speaking to the referee. In terms of his questions about how it's working, I think one of the, the one thing that we all thought VAR would do would be to get rid of the absolute 100% mistakes and there are still things that happen and you think, how is it possible that that decision had not been corrected? And there was one at the weekend, Celta Vigo played against Villarreal and um, there was a head clash, in the pe- clash of heads in the penalty area. Uh, Celta had a corner, Hugo Mayer went in for it um, and he head-butted uh, completely without intention uh, Asenjo and both players go down. It looks, it looks terrible and you even think, is this going to end up with Asenjo, poor, poor keeper in a, in a neck brace? Uh, and when Asinko finally gets to his feet, the referee's given a penalty. So, you know, again, referees don't... There are, th- there are times where the referee doesn't spot it, and it was da- David uh, Mider Jimenez, and, and he hasn't seen it, or he's seen it, and he thinks that Asenko has punched Hugo Mayu in, in, in the head, and he doesn't realise it's a, it's a clash of heads. But then Pablo González Fuertes, who's the, who's, in, who's, in the, who's the video-assisted referee, can see the replay a thousand times. He can see that it's a clash of heads. It's not a penalty, and it just makes no sense that that stays as a penalty and is not corrected. And another one very quickly comes to mind right at the end of last season. Hugo Duro 
stepped on um, the Real Sociedad Le Mans, uh, Le Robin Le Mans foot in the penalty area. And Le Mans, it was given a penalty against him. He was awarded a penalty. So there are things like this that are still happening. And it doesn't make any sense why, because the video-assisted referee has got the replays and he's got the time to look at it and see that it's wrong. One of the things that Liga wants to do is it wants to stop having the matchday referees being the video-assisted referee. And it wants to bring in maybe retired refs. Um, and that makes far more sense. And maybe you could have the, 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 the VAR guys in a team with the referee, so that every single game that that referee referees, he has the same guy in the VAR, they build up a relationship, they build up an understanding, and, you know, what, what the, one, the number one thing we all want from VAR is that you don't get any more clear injustices, and, and it's still not quite, not quite wiping them out, so that could, be, um, that could be a solution, but I agree with Graham that on the whole, it gets it right, and it definitely got it right in the game at the weekend. I love the way you phrased it, Peter, because I don't think there's a Masonic thing going on, but it's equally clear that some referees will just about think, I'm going to look after my guy on the pitch there and I'm not going to, I'm not going to turn up. Not all the time, but occasionally, when we see the most hard-to-explain interaction between a pitch referee and VAR, sometimes you get the feeling ah, they're just looking after their guy. And if the referees, not all of them are friends, that's that's absolutely clear. But there might be cases, and we don't have open mics, and, and maybe open mics or the availability of uh, re-listening later to, to the open channels, to, to channels that aren't fully open. These things might complement, but Pete suggested the very best thing. A detachment, just like, you know, between the, the lawmakers and the justiciary. I think if there's a degree of detachment and a degree of outside expertise brought in from ultra-reliable ex-players because ex-players carry agendas of their own and it won't lead to perfection but I think the balance Pete suggested there is a really good one and, and to take the stigma away as well from the match they referee getting it wrong because you know there's this when VAR first came in you heard people saying well we don't want to take the authority away from the referee well it, this is what it is it is taking the authority away from the referee but it's with justification because the game is now played at a million miles an hour it's impossible for them to see everything it doesn't matter that David Mideo Jimenez didn't see at the weekend that Hugo Maya is a clash of heads with Asenjo ok no problem the, the VAR referee's seen it he's had a quick look at the replay he only has to see the replay once it's obvious and he, and he, and he rules out the penalty so yeah couldn't agree more OK, let's talk about rock and roll moment number two from the weekend. All Black v Messi in a 0-0 draw in the Camp Now. This was an extraordinary save from Athletic Keeper to deny Messi. Pete, you were actually at the game. What, what did you make of it? Well, it's, uh, All Black's going to win the... Pich- uh, not the Pichichi, I always get those two mixed up. He's going to win the Zamora probably, although his Courtois is just a couple of goals behind him. Um, and he's had another incredible season. I mean, the, at the start of the season, I think we were putting Atletico's defensive record because they had, had a very good defensive record at the first half of the season. We were putting it down to the defence, but I don't think it was a defence. I think a lot of the time it was O'Black. Um, and he's made so many big, big saves. I mean, you think about the penalty uh, a couple of weeks back as well. I think it was against Elche, wasn't it? Um, so he's been massive again. I thought Atletico, I thought it was a, it was a 9 out of 10 for Simeone and no, probably a 4 out of 10 for Koeman. Um, and Messi was the one bright light for Barcelona. Um, and, you know, Barcelona's running is probably easier than Atletico's and Real Madrid's, but if they don't start believing that they are football club Barcelona and, 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 and start worrying and stop worrying about 
uh, what the opposition are going to do. I mean, I've had a look, quick look at the papers this morning and, and going into the game against Levante. It's, well, should we be, you know, we, we, we've got to be worried about De Frutos and Morales on the, on the counter-attack. I mean, for heaven's sake, Barcelona scored, scored 80 goals this season. Levante have scored 40. You've got to go into that game and just win it, win their last four games. And I think the other two will slip up because I think it's that been, been that kind of season. But they just seem to have lost belief in, in who they are. And at the weekend, it showed perfectly. You've got Bruce Busquets going off injured during the game. And the obvious choice is bring Dembele on, start playing fourth or three. The title's at stake. And he brings Elias on. Um, so it was very disappointing from Barcelona. But they still would have won the game had it not been for that old black save. And, and I, I pick, Martin, I pick up what Pete says there that it wasn't what you asked. But we've seen enough evidence over the last few weeks to know that... I, mean, I hope this isn't a cheap metaphor, but when you're building a house... You get an architect and a foundation specialist to do your foundations. And Cumin has been that. And I'm wary of being hypocritical because often I'll be defensive about the lack of time managers are given to, not just to implement their plans, but to, to have a couple of transfer markets, to reshape a squad. Um, all of us were, were alive and, and in some cases working in the media when... when you know, the greatest of them all, Ferguson, took four, nearly five years to win a trophy at Manchester United and then a couple more years to win the title and then Chris Bang Wallop. And not every manager who doesn't get time is going to do that. But you can guarantee that you don't get the best out of a manager if you don't give him reasonable time. But avoiding the, the charge, I hope, of hypocrisy in Cumin's case, I think we've seen enough to know that the foundations are well built and he's done really valuable things. But consistently, if you match what we've seen over the crucial weeks back to even his spells at Ajax and Benfica and Southampton and potentially, I mean, I'm, I'm not so sure about this comparison with the national team. Koeman has flaws and I think they become glaringly apparent. And the way in which he set the foundations actually makes it triple important that they are built upon in the right way. I think he's shown sufficient flaws of match reading, squad reading, tactics reading that what I Laporta I wouldn't continue with him and and not even if somehow he flukes the league and that would be you know to, to win the double in the hypothetical case that lift the Liga and be removed you know people would, would jump on that and, and with big hobnail boots and I would understand it but analytically analytically we've seen we've seen his, his flaws sufficiently um, that he, sh- he shouldn't carry on that, that somebody else should build and and one of the things that I think will make that clearer to Laporta, it was out of Cumin's hands because the save you talked about, Martin, what I loved best of all was that there had been chances in the game. It wasn't an arid match. Pete, from having been in the Cantonal Tribune with that beautiful aerial view you've got, will we'll tell you that there was a lot of cleverness. There, there were serious goal chances, predominant for Atleti. Atleti probably deserved to sneak it, I think. Had Suarez been on... Had he been sharp, he's not sharp yet. Um, had he been sharp, probably he'd have turned it, probably they'd have won it. But there comes this moment just before, about five minutes before halftime, when Messi picks the ball up just nearly in the same patch of grass as that 2015 Athletic Club goal in the cup final. And instead of going down the line and then cutting in as he did then, he takes on, I mean, I, I forget, that the list of players he beats includes Saul Coque, Felipe... Savage, Llorente, and I think one other. 
and it's 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 magical from him and he unleashes this shot and at first glance I think it goes by that's how good a save it was how how tiny a touch of black gets in it and what elevates the moment I think into the dramatic rock and roll sphere that you were talking about Martin and your question is that um, All Black had talked a couple of months earlier about Messi takes everything out of your control Messi's, Messi's skills are that you don't know when he's going to shoot you don't know where he's going to shoot to you're at 100% and you're confident and if he do, if he's fully sharp he does what he wants and he, he, he means it means that 9 times out of 10 you can't prevent him doing what he wants to do and and that isn't the the a defeatist phrase. It, All Blacks had to suffer exactly that. There was one that, um, in late November, a couple of seasons ago at the Metropolitano, uh, not last season, season before, pardon me, where Aleti were much better. It was still nil nil. Bus had been cack, and it was De Jong's first season. He runs two thirds of the length of the pitch, it passes it to Messi on the right. Messi runs in. Um, across the penalty area, going from right to left, leaves it to Suarez, who just barely touches it, set Messi up as he goes, as he moves onwards again. You could almost call it a one-two, but it'd be a one-one and a half, really. And 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 Messi just fucking erupts one off his left foot from an angle whereby you shouldn't be able to score. All Black's at full length, and he can't get to it. And it's the one where everybody in Atleti, before they lament their fate, they just shake their heads and and. Simeone is about to erupt in, in anger and he just stops and he checks himself and he goes, ah, bollocks, there's nothing you can do with that. And Simeone applauds. You're like, man, man bites a fucking pack of dogs, not just a dog, to see Simeone applauding the opposition. And that's what Oblak was talking about, yet he defies his own words. It wasn't a messy... Di- messy probably could have done nothing better at that game that Pete was at. And the save is extraordinary. I'm certain it, it solidifies Atleti's belief that this is our day. They only get the draw, not the win. But it was just shimmering for me. It stands out and it'll stand out in my memory for years and years and years to come. OK, it's time for a break. We'll be back in a moment with a couple more questions to complete part one of this month's Q&A. you like to look five years younger in a clinical study people that had volume added with juvederm voluma xc in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment look younger feel like you add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with juvederm voluma xc reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with juvederm volure xc for important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. 
Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Okay, and we're back with a couple of questions on Athleti. Socio Robert Ryan, what are your predictions for La Liga title with three games to go? Graham wrote a super article about Luis Suarez at the start of the season and I took Atleti then at 9-1. to one. Um, Socio Jake Garlic says, if Atletico managed to just about go over the line, will it paper over the cracks that have shown in the second half of the season and mean that they don't make the changes they probably need? I want to go Jensen Madrid first. Top of the league, three games to go, it's in their hands. Um, and it'll be remarkable if they, if they if they can do it, and I think they can do it. Um, um, I just hope that I can, I've just got visions of um, them being one 0 up against Osasuna and Simeone, you know, sending on a couple of centre halves and Budimir bundling the ball in on eighty nine minutes for the equaliser and that losing in the league. Um, I think um, some of the criticism of him has been uh, has been fair. They they've looked nervous when they've taken the lead. He he, he tends to be err on the side of caution too much with his changes but I also feel there's a there's the issue of Jao Felix which doesn't get talked about enough um people I mean Jao Felix is kind of considered to be the the victim in that relationship with Diego Simeone poor poor guy turns up still so young coach doesn't put his arm around him coach coach doesn't trust him the number of times in the second half of the season when Jao Felix has come on and has, has had zero impact in games it happened again at the weekend um, there's a late counter-attack for Atletico Madrid. It's Messi that, that gives the ball away. It runs to Jao Felix. Jao Felix needs to start the move lightning quick. He doesn't do it. He's too slow, pedestrian. And, and in the end, I think it's actually Messi who gets back and, and snuffs out what, what ends up being a pretty poor counter-attack. Uh, someone's got to go at the end of the season, either Jao Felix or Diego Simeone. Ask the Atletico Madrid supporters, and I think um, 85 90% of them would say Jao Felix what they what they do, whether they send him back um, to Portugal to have a year on loan where he can be brilliant and, and his price can, can can go right back up and, and, and create interest, or whether there is someone, uh, there is a club who, who would take him now even without that loan season away where he gets his confidence back. It, is, is it feasible or is it pie in the sky to suggest Griezmann going back to Atleti and, and Jao Felix ending up at Barcelona? Probably. But... Um, I think there are times when Simeone is criticised for, for for making negative changes, and actually one of his first changes has been on to, has been to bring on Jao Felix, and Jao Felix makes zero impact from the bench. Um, uh, he's 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 the man for Atletico Madrid, Diego Simeone. But you've got to sign him. You've got to sign him, Diego Simeone players. Um, and 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 Jao Felix is not a Diego Simeone player. And they spent what was it, 127 million euros on signing him. Um, so, I mean, I'd quite like to have gone second, to be honest, because I want to hit back at all Graham's... Um, Martin, you know, Martin, can you, can you see how... Uh, <laughs> this is just to pick up on your University Challenge uh, metaphor there. 
It's just how Pete got to Cambridge uh, and stuck it to Oxford. Because he's done a little, he's done what Joe Felix is supposed to do, a little flick of the hips, and he's moved into a pocket of space. But it's the wrong pocket of space. In the first, Roberto, um, you're asking who's going to get over the line. Now that you've got your your money lodged with the bootmakers, whatever we say doesn't matter uh, two figs. Um, and, And I... I think that Madrid are so exhausted that their their timetable, which includes Granada, which I think they'll take, they could drop points at Athletic. Um, Villarreal, even though they're going to be hoarding players for uh, Dansk, because um, I'm certain that comes after the end of the league. Um, when I say certain, I mean, I think. <laughs> and... I think Barcelona now, the head-to-head thing is going to ruin them. So, yeah, I think Aliti win the title. Guaranteed, Roberto? No. And as far as Jake's uh, papering over the cracks, I, I think the cracks are bigger than the bigger than the way in which the Jao Felix uh, element has, has made Atleti and Simeone look as if they're a little bit um, disjointed. Where the where the cracks and where the disjointed thing comes in is that over several seasons now, we've Simeone we've seen Simeone change, and everybody's allowed to develop and or decay over the years, and I thoroughly don't believe that a manager or a player being at a club for a long time is automatically a negative and will lead to dropping of standards. That's not true. But it, it, depending on the person, it can be the case. And I've seen a, a vengarization of Simeone, whereby whether it's conscious, whether it's subconscious, the fact that he's paid over 20 million euros a season, the fact that he's chauffeur-driven around Madrid in a Rolls-Royce, the fact that his personal circumstances have changed from the hungry, uh, lonely bachelor to the happily married man with a little kid. Uh, we've watched a guy who's gone from... I mean, he was he was literally an SAS commander when he arrived. It was it was come with me. Uh, he who dares wins. We're at war. We're a band of brothers. We've got people to hate, and the tactical acuity was partially from his now departed assistant, but. Simeone's capacity to inspire man to man, which is now in the modern game not the, the number one skill, but it's pretty fucking close to the number one skill because players are tactically acute, they're assistants galore. Um, a manager ultimately will take responsibility for strategy and tactics, but if you don't have your people on board, the multi millionaires who can get you the sack, the guys who are like, well, if I have half a season off, nobody's going to notice it. Nobody did it. Madrid, when Cruz had two-thirds of the season off and he got a new contract and suddenly began playing brilliantly again. That just happens. And Simeone had that and he's now got it to a lesser extent. And and the, the flaws that we're seeing this season whereby his appreciation of how to play both the Chelsea ties, um, probably at least a second of the two Levante ties, uh, matches that cost him so badly, um the horrendous nature of the Madrid derby, the first one, the way in which he couldn't see that Suarez was 
out on his knees after a brilliant Atleti performance. And for my money, possibly Atleti's best performance of the season was in the 1-1 draw against Madrid the second time around, where they were extraordinary and they played like champions and they should have won. And Suarez being knackered has been kept on because Simeone correctly thinks of him differently. But good, top, sharp managers at the elite level go, my guy's finished. My guy's knackered. We change there. We change... We get them belly on, we close, we stretch, we press. There's about six minutes. And Suarez makes a run, gives the ball away. Atleti are set up for 2-0. He, he just gives the ball away out of tiredness. Madrid go up the pitch and score. That was the game whereby Atleti being shooing wonder home favourites for the title went away. And and Benzema, the, the, the play between Casemiro and Benzema for the goal was absolutely brilliant. And all I'm saying is that Simeone should have read it better. I'm being ultra-critical, but... Jake, in in my opinion, you can resurface the bull with lots of mares, uh, lots of st- lots of cows um, that he likes to uh, fraternise with next season and the season afterwards, and you're still going to get a guy who thinks that garnering huge sums of money by being there or thereabouts in the Champions League is now what his job is about more than winning. <clears throat> He's lost an edge. And you can see it in match as pre-match assessments. You can see in inter intra-match um, changes and ideas. You can see it in Felipe having the bollocks to. Felipe had a an atrocious middle of the season, error strewn, and he comes out and says the manager doesn't explain the the system properly. Um, I, I'm not. He's not very communicative. I don't feel terrifically happy with the way this things are going and. A player, that doesn't mean you take the player's side and you say uh, Simeone's in the wrong because one player... What that indicates is that there's a player willing to speak out about supporting the evidence of our own eyes. And in the old days, no player would have done that ever, ever. So, and also there's one last thing, Jake. Um, there's, there's a crack in the man referred only to as Professor Ortega. Atleti are running on gas and air and, and at the end of the season, have been doing that now for two or three seasons, to the extent that two seasons ago, Simeone came out in midwinter and said, mm, there's something about our, our fitness that just ain't right. And I think that whatever it is, whether Ortega is, is running his players into the ground, whether his methods are just now being found a little bit stale by the players because of repetition, I can't say, Jake, I've got my finger on it. But Atleti is a club which was poised to win this should have gone far further in the Champions League and is underperforming and it's the several season in a row, probably since the Europa League victory um, against Marseille and Lyon. So I, I have I have trouble with Simeone. I think he is a problem. And either he reboots and restarts or we won't, we won't see him being moved on. He's just a renewed contract. My criticisms are probably, you know, in space nobody can hear you scream. But I'm not impressed, Jake. Pete, I saw you pick up your pen um, a couple of minutes ago when, when Graham used the word Vengerisation. And uh, you've been you've been scribbling away since then. So That was a good spot, what, what? yeah. Vengerisation is a brilliant <laughs> word, isn't it? And also you mentioned fraternise, which, which for many years was the Pompey fancy. Um, <laughs> but, um... Boo, Atkinson Stanley, boo, who are they? <laughs> um... 
Uh, I don't agree with the, the idea that they're, they've underachieved. Um, I, I think uh, he's, he's, um, he's up against Barcelona Madrid. He's got, um, he's got a centre-forward who Barcelona deemed surplus because he was a little bit too old, a little bit too slow. Um, he's got a player who we've already talk, talked about is 127 million euros of, of potential and may well be very good in, in three or four years' time, but right now he's just not up to it. Um, he's got defenders who wouldn't get in Barcelona or, or, or Real Madrid side players like Felipe will probably be moving on at the end of the season after being reminded of his comments uh, I think they do need to check, make changes I think there are players like Saul who have been at the club too long and would benefit from, from pastures new uh, he can't have been too happy about being brought on and then taken off at the weekend but in some ways it was justified uh, I think they were beaten by Chelsea but Chelsea are one of the best or the second best side in Europe at the moment as would probably be proved in the Champions League final there is a problem with youth. Um, I see lots of young players coming through at Real Madrid and, and looking like they're going to be the future of the club. And I see the same at Barcelona. I don't see that at Atletico Madrid. And I don't, I'm not sure why that is. And I'm not sure if you can pin that in some way on Simeone and, and the way he runs the club. Um, but I still think if they win it, and I think they probably will just, I think it's an incredible achievement. Um, and things need to change. I don't know what the effect Nelson Vivas has had there. He's obviously... Is come in. Is his first season, Graham? This season, it is, isn't yeah, it? Um, yeah. So whether he, what kind of effect he's had, and and how that will 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 develop going forward. And El Profi for so long was was the man who made them what they were, and now he he seems to be the reason why they have so many injuries. So that obviously is another situation that needs sorting out. Um, there are going to have to be changes in the summer. I just don't see that that's, that's, that Simeone is is the is the right change. I still think he's the right man for the job, and I still think it'd be an incredible achievement if. And I think they will win the league. Okay, I, w- I want to finish with a couple of questions on Sevilla, but I might sc- on the subject of iconic managers, I might squeeze in one from Shona McGovern on Zidane, uh, who says, "Hi, Graham and Pete. Do you think Zidane will be in charge of Real Madrid next season if they fail to win La Liga? I know it's crazy to question a manager who has such a fantastic record, but this is Real Madrid we are talking about. As a Real Madrid fan, I'm on the fence about this one." Hi Shona, I don't think it's got anything to do with whether or not he wins the league to be honest because I think it's down to him and I, and I, and I think he's leaning towards, I've had enough of this, take two, <laughs> as he already said it once hasn't he Graham, so I, th- I think may well, may well be the second time of, back to you. Well we, we, we work Shona as you know if you've listened in, Pete and I and anybody that we trust in our game, Martin too and Neil, we work partly on information when we talk to people that, that we trust but we we have to also be interpreters of body language. And when you get Zidane using the phrase blah, blah, blah twice <laughs> yeah, in the press conference, he's, he's off. <laughs> he's off. Whether or not they win the title, Zidane has been giving off signs of, I'm not massively enjoying the parts of this job that are ancillary. I think he still takes huge delight out of being Madrid manager, out of the training ground, out of the majority of people he works with. But in an era whereby, I mean, listen, it's not enough to renounce a 15 million euro salary and leave the club you you adore. But Shona, you want to listen to the bullshit that he gets asked every week. I mean, if you think about pre and post, about six times every week in a three-game week, he's asked the most... Torturous, repetitive shit. And um, I think he feels very little appreciation from outside the club, in my opinion. And while, again, that's not a reason on its own to, to leave, I think it's corrosive. 
I think it takes away your satisfaction about, well, do I need to be here after all these victories? There are, um, in Zidane's words, I'm still relatively young, wholly vital. There are other things to do and I can knock on the door and come back more or less whenever I want. I think Pete's sort of weather detection there, I would concur with that. It suggests that when he makes the decision, one, it'll be his decision. If they lose the league, he won't be sacked. I, I, I believe it's as simple as that. Win or lose the league, I think he's considering that if Deschamps were to be, be absolutely crystal clear, and I think he's Deschamps has guided us so far rather than absolutely announced outright that he's leaving France, I think that a few years working three-quarters time, two-thirds time as an international manager with a squad that's capable of potentially winning one or other of the tournaments. I personally think that appeals to Zidane. If he goes, uh, and like Pete, I, I, I veer to the side that I think he wants to go. No guarantees. I, I miss him a lot. I, I enjoy his attitude to football. Um, I, I think if you could strip three or four years off three or four of those players at Real Madrid he'd continue winning in a, in a pretty uh, steamroller manner and the squad's coming to a point where it's needing it's needing a good bit of gardening I'm not certain that Zidane is necessarily the man to I think he's the man to plan that I think he's a brilliant spotter of talent some of the key footballers they've got right now Shona came because he was director of football but to be the guy who's denied the chance to 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 to, to reseed the garden because Florentino thinks he's the director of football and to be the coach who inherits um, what comes next. I'm not certain that's tickling him. Um, so I, I think on balance, about 60-40, I think he chooses to leave. And again, about 60-40, I think there's a decent chance that by August he's maybe, or July or August, he's maybe the France coach. We'll see, maybe not. If he stays, all I'll tell you is that I'll be really pleased. I really enjoy watching him, listening to him. And in many of the things he says and does, I actually quite admire him. Okay, let's finish up with a couple of questions on Sevilla. Um, first up is Chris Hennigan, our socio, who says, Hi, Graham and Pete. Be fascinated to know uh, your take on Sevilla's league form this season and their almost but not quite title challenge. And is it fair to say that as good as Papu Gomez is and the qualities of Luke de Jong, they've ultimately fallen short due to the absence of a true individual goal-scoring threat in the final third? And I'll just add on to that Bet365's question. Do you think Sevilla will be La Liga title contenders over the next few years or is this season just a one-off? I think that's being a little bit harsh on on, on Niziri. What is he? What is he, 23 years old in Niziri? He's had a fantastic season. He's shown this season that he's he's, he's, he's adding new things to his game. He's, he's scored some goals this season that Luke de Jong would have been proud of. Towering headers, we weren't seeing that from him last season. Um, he was disappointing against um, Madrid. I thought. Um, I thought. Just going slightly off question. Lopetegui was criticised for for being negative against against Real Madrid in the second half. But I thought he brought on Nizeri, and, and it was Nizeri who then didn't provide what Lopetegui was looking for him, which was you know the runs in behind, holding the ball up a little bit. But I think he's been excellent. Nizeri, twenty three goals, seventeen in the league. Um, and um, Papa Gomez was an interesting signing. I think they've made it made it work more than than a lot of people thought that it would work because you wondered how Lopetegui was going to was going to fit him into the side. But he has done that. 
Um, Luke de Jong, not a great season for him. Well, well, Pete, let me butt in on something that that I think you'll be able to pick up on. I agree with Christopher, and I'm not that far off your verdict because in Naziri has, in fact, I've asked Monchi about, and you know Monchi well as well. He's got this, he's got this. Um, what what the hell does he call it? His system includes uh, a sort of um, a seventy thirty ratio, Monchi, the 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 Chris, the director of football. And, and some players he wants to be 30-70 and some 70-30. So he buys some players, like Papu, who 70% of the impact that they're going to have needs to be instant and 30% is what comes when they fit in. Some players, like in Naziri, it's a 30-70. And he admits that you know we're buying not just outright potential, but somebody who we, we cannot expect to hit the ground running. And in Naziri, ballpark, as been signed as a 30-70 and his performance is a 70-30 but this is why I butted in Pete I, I think that's all they've lacked to win the title Chris I, Chris, I agree with you that if, if a guy you know really well let's say Suarez had been signed by Sevilla and he'd been playing all season at or around the level same amount of minutes same amount of appearances as for Atleti and particularly with the way that Sevilla play and how high up the pitch they like to press and where they win the ball and how quick the transitions are and how how rarely... I know when Naziri runs in behind, but Luke de Jong doesn't. How rarely they're, they're putting the ball long for a player to run on to and Naziri can, but Sevilla would have won the title with Suarez. I, I, I personally think it's that simple. And, and there are other areas, Chris, that have surprised me. It's been... I, I think, for example, Bono supplanting Vatslik has, has shocked me because even though Bono won in the Europa League, Vatslik was clearly the superior player last season until injury. Um, Joe Jordan has been a revelation for me. Um, Acuna, I, I'm still not a huge fan of, but he's punched above the weight I expected of him. I think to have Fernando at that age being as decisive again this season, again, has, as Chris has edged above my expectations for him. Navas, although he had a really difficult first part of the season at that age to perform like this, I think there have been uh, a punio of players who who have given an 8 out of 10 season compared to the 6.5 I expected them to give, and that's why they're, 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 they're so close to, to winning the title. They'd have been such a romantic bet, but it's not romanticism that makes me agree with your question. Um, and if they'd had a Luis Suarez or even a, an informed Benyeda, I think they'd have won the title. And Bet365's question, Pete, was are they likely to be continue to be t- title contenders? And I think the absolute crystal clear answer is they retain options to win a title, the title, over the next couple of seasons. And there, there are two ways to break that down. Firstly, Monchi, when he signed Lopetegui, told a colleague of... I mean, Pete's an invincible. I'm much more invincible, but Lauren is an invincible. He works with us on La Liga television. And when Monchi signed Lopetegui, uh, he said... He told Lauren, who's a, who's a Sevilla daft footballer, um, we're building a squad to win everything. It's Monchi's intention to win the Champions League, to win the title. Now, whether they achieve that or not, I love the fact that he's pegged out his expectations. And even though 
they'll need to sell and probably sell big. The fact is that he has proven that he can bring in, sell one and bring in three or four at costs whereby their delivery far exceeds the, the outlay financially, far exceeds most people's expectations. Monchi is not without the occasional failure, but he is he's made of industrial rubber about how quickly he bounces back because he's got a vast database of A, B and C players, C discarded, B maybe, A, and, 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 and across areas and clubs whereby other people haven't seen that, for example, Gustavo Poyet, Chris, uh, Bet365 and Chris and Pete Mann and Chicharita. But, uh, Chris, Gus Poyet, before he went to coach in Universidad Católica, was a colleague of ours on La Liga Television. And when Kunde signed for Sevilla, I remember being on, I think with you, Pete, on a Wednesday evening debate show where where Gus said, look at this Kunde kid, he's, he's a bit mad, he, he, he runs forward too much, but he can really play, he's a bit of a Mustang... Um, but I, I saw something in him, I think, and Gus was pretty positive. <laughs> Munchie, who hadn't coached him, had gone and said, this guy is absolute ginger. We need to have him, we need to sign him. Instantly he arrived, he changed to be his win ratio. Across the couple of seasons that he's been there, there might have been a, a, a game or two every eight months where you say, okay, kid looks a bit tired or wow the fact that he's not a towering centre half was exposed there but it's extremely rare and when he's on form he's a force of nature and he's extremely young still developing and that's my way of saying to Bet365 for their question that we will see players like Kunde or Joe Jordan that others have thought mm, should we maybe don't know coming in in a clutch of probably five or six this summer and they won't be aimed at status quo, keeping Sevilla where they are. They will be aimed at winning the title and winning the Champions League. And I would think that the, the corresponding information, Martin, is that Barcelona and Madrid have learned things this season, but their debt isn't going to disappear. They're going to have difficulty reinforcing to degree to the degree that they want to. And that means they're not suddenly going to disappear out of sight from Sevilla. And Sevilla's record against the top clubs this season is better than it was last season. When I think out of 18 points, I think uh, Lopetegui took two. I think a couple of draws. Maybe no, so three draws. He got, I think he got a double draw. Maybe drew with Atleti twice and got a point on Barcelona last season. This season, the performance and the point ratio has gone up a little bit. I think that speaks of psychology and confidence. So without saying Sevilla are next season's champions, yeah, I, I categorically say that Sevilla are going to be in the race to win the title over the next two, three seasons. And, and that partnership between Monchi and Lopetegui is, is definitely a positive one. Um, I mean, I'm not going to say that you know they, they would necessarily be best buddies off the pitch and you can imagine them having a meeting at the Pichuan and you know Monchi's sat by the window blowing smoke out the window and Lopetegui marching up and down and Monchi saying will you please sit down calm down for a minute Lopetegui but um, there seems to be um, an, an acceptance from Lopetegui that, that Monchi is brilliant at his job and that, that he will take on board what, what, what's brought to him there seems to be an acceptance from Monchi that he'll take input from Lopetegui some of the players that have been brought to the club since Lopetegui arrived have clearly been Lopetegui players despite the fact that Monchi takes such control over who comes in 
Um, and and as, uh, while they, those two stay together, I, I agree with Graham that I think Sevilla are, are, are title ca- candidates going forward for the next two or three seasons. Okay, that's it for this month's Q&A, or the first part of this month's Q&A. We'll be back tomorrow with more from Pete and Graham. Thanks to the socios who sent questions in, and thanks to you for listening. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.